0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Did you know Toyota of Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver.
1: Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
0: Get ready, get ready
2: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here, Rhino. We made it. We have, we're cranking up another one, and them zany legislators are still back there in the session down there, I should say, at the Capitol, making all them bills and trying to get some of them enacted into law. You think they're going to run out of bill numbers? (laughs) Mm, Probably not. (laughs) I think... uh, They'll keep cranking them out. (laughs) Speaker Pro Tem Jason White said the House reserved like zero through 2000 or 1999 and was concerned they don't have enough numbers (laughs) reserved for all the bills down there. Where do they come up with all this? Now, well, well, I mean, that is
1: kind of the beauty of representative government yeah. is you get all these ideas from all these different places across the state, Yeah, and it has to be a good enough idea to convince all the other people who have their ideas to get on
2: board with it. I got you. Well, that's the way it works. I mean, we're okay with that. The lights are a little brighter in here today. What happened? I have this no idea. It's still out. just feels a little brighter. I don't know. But... We are here. We got some uh, decent weather today, but some storms moving through Mississippi tomorrow. Correct? Yeah, with
1: a chance of some uh, precipitation tonight on the uh, Gulf Coast and in southern Mississippi. But yeah, got to be weather
2: aware. Okay. You were talking this morning in our little meeting about some uh, some of the interesting bills that have been filed. Please share with our audience the one you told me about that involves the statute of limitations on bribery for political candidates.
1: Yeah, apparently there's a bill in the works that would uh, change the statute of limitations for bribery of a candidate to five years, if I'm reading it correctly.
2: (laughs) Okay. And what's the purpose of that exactly? Exactly. You know? I have not the foggiest, oh, okay. but you can either. because of the
1: vagary of it, you can draw any kind of conclusion you want. Is that one of those where they're like, "I'm watching you"? Here's the bill to prove it, <laughs> or is it one of those like, you know what? I've heard things. I can't prove anything, but I kind of want to clean this up. So let's see if we can get it cleaned. I mean, there's you can take any kind of angle on it you want, but yeah, how do you
2: how do you do that with a straight face? I don't know. It's crazy. We've got uh, the mayor of Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, Mayor Andrew Fofo-Gillich, coming on the program at 11.05 to discuss the Bonacary Spillway ruling and how that might impact coastal Mississippi. i got to tell you, I didn't even know that was still a thing. This has been going on a while, has it not? It's an issue that certainly affects the good folks on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We'll dig into that with the mayor of Biloxi, Today, Super Talk Outdoors on today because it is Monday at uh, noon, at the noon hour. That's with, of course, Ricky Matthews, the host of Coast View. The Seaspire Spire text line is available for you to participate in the conversation. 601 879 4395 would be the number. We, uh, gosh, we got covered up with texts on Friday. Apologize we didn't get to all of them. Try to hang around a bit and respond. We do uh, appreciate, for certain, the engagement and the contribution to the show. Really appreciate that. Let's see. What do we got here from Thomas in Greenwood? Already, simple answer, Gerard. The tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. That apparently, from Aesop. What's he talking about there? Was it championed by car dealers? I think that is a reference to the statute, the uh, the statute concerning bribery that you were just talking about. Would that be for all public officials, elected officials, or just members of the legislature? It
1: seems pretty blanket in the language. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I. I... I only speak enough legalese to be dangerous. No, I but.
2: got you. Jerry in Ponotok says, the Dallas Cowboys just ran another trick play. It was worse than the one last night who called that play. Joe Biden? <laughs> so we got the, uh, the playoff scene is all set. Four teams remain in the NFL. Two of those will emerge as contestants in the Super Bowl at this point. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. All right. We got the Bengals and the Chiefs in the AFC. And it's the the Eagles put a whooping on the Giants, did they not? Yeah, there
1: was some caterwauling on social media about how there was some home cooking for the Philadelphia Eagles with... uh, Allegations of the chain being wound around the bottom of the pole to shorten the first down for (laughs) the Eagles. And it's kind of hard to to complain and and bellyache about little inconsistencies
2: like that if you're getting beat 28 to nothing. Yeah, I don't know if I'm buying that, but it's Philadelphia again who put a spanking on their rival, the New York Giants. They, of course, will play host to the San Francisco 49ers coming into town to decide the NFC champion. And whoever wins those games, those two games, goes on to compete in the Super Bowl. Where's the Super Bowl this year, by the way? I don't even know. Let's find out. I don't either. We got Super Bowl coming up in February. That's always... What does it look like? It's always um, the same weekend as the Phoenix Open.
1: I was was able to find the halftime show faster than the stadium. It's (laughs) Rihanna performing in the halftime show at the State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Oh,
2: that's where it is this year? Oh, yeah. Wow. So you've got the Super Bowl in 2023 and Glendale on the 12th. Is that correct? Sunday, February 12th. Phoenix Open is, I believe, the week before. No, it's the same weekend. It's always opposite. That's the Waste Management Open. It gets kicked off on the 5th. So you've got both of these events in Phoenix, in the Phoenix area. The Open starts, of course, the 5th or the 6th it's a it's a week long event are these p g a tournaments, so you're going to have that going on, and then right when they crown a champion there at the Phoenix Open, they kick off the Super Bowl cross town
1: which wow. I mean the television coverage for the Super Bowl will have already started. I'm pretty sure they're going to have a breakfast show this year <laughs> the The coverage seems to start earlier and earlier every year it's all day and it's just a game between two teams. I don't know why you need 12 hours of pregame other than... because That's the thing. They always they always have all these amazing ads for the Super Bowl that cost these companies gazillions of dollars to make and another gazillion dollars to put it during the Super Bowl. But inevitably, you get to the end of the third quarter and pretty much the whole fourth quarter, they're just rerunning commercials they've already run because they didn't sell enough, I guess. <laughs> Gotta milk it for all it's worth there. I mean, that would be the only reason I could think of why would you have longer pregame show? Oh, to fit more ad
2: time in, but then you wind up replaying them. That's true. But it it's always uh, intriguing, I would say. Fascinating to see the new ads. That's when, I guess, Madison Avenue really is at its most creative. So we'll see uh, what those look like this year. And So Thomas wants to say that the Aesop quote was in response to the sheer number of bills. Okay, makes sense. The quote being, the tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. Well, of course, that assumes all the bills do, in fact, uh, apply some form of tyranny. I don't think that's quite accurate, but I hear what you're saying there, Thomas. I, I always wonder... Why we have so many dang bills. Of course, the number that make it out of committee, remember Representative White shared that with us last week, it's it's a fraction of the total number filed. Pretty much meet their fate and get it filed 13. Oh, yeah, I've got about 100
1: of them that I'm tracking, and I doubt more than two or three will actually make it.
2: <laughs> oh, gosh. Rihanna, is it like 2006 again? Did... Performed then as well? I don't remember. No, but that was about the peak of her popularity. Okay. Well, there you go. The Waste Management Phoenix Open over there at the TPC Scottsdale. And then the Super Bowl down the street in Glendale. That's incredible. We're coming back with more on Middays. Mayor Gillich of Biloxi up at 1105. Stay with us. By Def Leppard, bumping us into this segment here on Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios, the by our text line, 601-879-4395. So, we were just talking about the Super Bowl coming up. That uh, is not uh, too much into the future. Less than a month now. And we got the Phoenix Open, which, by the way, Moe's reports that it is home of the loudest hole in golf, number 16 at the TPC Scottsdale. Is that the big stadium hole? Yeah, I agree, Moe's. Have been there. Have had the pleasure of attending a couple of Phoenix Opens. It is nuts. I don't know how many are crammed into that hole. I want to say it's like 20,000 or something. It's a big number you wouldn't expect. And as I recall, in terms of the size of the galleries, it uh, it consistently ranks as the top on the whole tour. Average of forty forty-five thousand 45,000 a day. Now, I haven't looked at this in a well, while. It's because
1: they won't let as many people
2: into the Masters. Well, that is true. You can't get into them. Masters a little tougher ticket.
1: If you had a space for a hundred thousand and they sold a hundred thousand tickets, you'd have a hundred thousand people at the Masters, but yeah.
2: Well, and for what it's worth, you ain't gonna act like they do at no, the Phoenix. No, Open. You're not. Skybox Hole sixteen. Uh Skybox sixteen pricing. You can get your own Skybox on the sixteenth. For sixty-three thousand dollars, just a svelte sixty-three (laughs) thousand, and that comes with thirty-four tickets, sixteen credentials per day. That's only
1: like two grand a head.
2: Yeah, not bad. So I'm trying to figure out how many. Get the guys together, load up in the van, have a great time. time. (laughs) Yeah, you're not doing that at Augusta National, by the way. You just—that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how many are gathered around, how many patrons as Bobby Jones referred to the those who are in the gallery at the Masters. We call them patrons by the way. That is the Bobby Jones language. What do you see? How many? 17,000 I fans. You, it's around 20,000. Yeah, it's incredible. 17,000. One hole. Imagine Swinging at a golf ball in front of 17,000. And despite their best... Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever
1: actually seen the the full hole. I thought it was like you had the stadium around the green.
2: But no. It's a stadium around the whole hole. Yeah. And it, and the hole is intentionally sunk. That's back in the era when uh, golf course designers were building these, what they call, stadium courses. And, and they were designed to accommodate large crowds in a stadium sort of format. And there you go. You see the holes sunk down, and the sky boxes are like three levels of them or something, right? Oh, yeah. It, it really is incredible, that number 16 there. you got boxes all the way down the fairway on the left side. You've got
1: standing room only and other kind of boxes all the way down the right side. And then from this perspective, it looks like you've got the general admission bleachers behind the green, behind the bunker. It's incredible.
2: It uh, Just that view there is <laughs> unbelievable when you look at that. Uh, Skybox Hole, number 16. I've been there, and I'm telling you, folks, it's nuts.
1: There was a lot of hope and faith in golf course designers back when they built that, that it was going to
2: be the next big thing if the the trend was stadium holes. That's very true. I I think all this was built, if I'm not mistaken, in the 90s, perhaps. I could be wrong about that, but play that course many times. It's a great course. And right across the street, by the way, is, uh, I don't remember the name, it may be Scottsdale Airport. It's a private aviation airport. doesn't serve as commercial traffic. And during that tournament, you look out at that airport, and there's a sea of private planes over there, folks, uh, descend upon Scottsdale to enjoy the tournament. And it could be said, I don't know this for sure, Rhino, that a drop or two of alcohol is consumed around the 16th. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it gets pretty rowdy. It's more like a football environment than golf, honestly. But that's what makes it fun. fun. And so that's going on at the same time, same day of the Super Bowl, the final round of the tournament, same day as the Super Bowl, which is pretty cool. Hmm. So, in Mississippi, back to these bills that are being filed and deliberated, there are a few related to gender-affirming care, something we talked about a lot on the program. And this is just another one of those areas where there's stark difference in the states, whereas in some states... It is uh, gender-affirming care is encouraged, and gender dysphoria is welcomed in the schools, teachers, administrators, even to young folks in elementary school. If they even hint or appear, even in an innocuous fashion, to have some confusion, I wouldn't even call it confusion, confusion about their gender but anything that just on the surface appears that they might have some interest in the gender other than that with which they were born they embrace that they encourage it yeah let's go get your gender changed. have some hormones and let's schedule you for a, some counseling so we can mutilate your body
1: It'd be like if you went to high school in the 90s during the the big end smoking tobacco push and you were wanting to rebel against your parents and your parents wouldn't let you smoke cigarettes. So you went to school and you told your teacher, my mom and dad won't let me smoke cigarettes. <laughs> and your teacher goes, oh, I'm so sorry. That's your decision to make. It's something that can impact your life. Here, here's a carton of camels.
2: Great analogy, precisely. So there's one bill, House Bill 1125, which would institute penalties for doctors and other health practitioners who provide anyone who's a minor under the age of 18 with hormone blockers, hormone treatment, or gender reassignment surgery puberty blockers etc it would uh, be unlawful to do so under any circumstances with a minor could include suspension of the practitioner's license as well as economic fines so it passed the House by a margin of 78-30, no surprise, mostly on party lines. Representative Tom Miles, a Democrat from Forrest, was the lone Democrat who voted for the bill. Representative Miles not seeking re-election. Two other bills have even stricter penalties, House Bill 456 would amend the child abuse statutes in Mississippi to extend to parents who actually are complicit, who assist their children in seeking gender-affirming care. It sounds so innocuous, doesn't it? We're going to go affirm your gender. That's what they call it. And what, what they mean is how you identify. They're not trying to affirm your physical, biological sex. That's, that's already done. No, it's how you think or what you think you are from a gender perspective. We're going to go affirm that by tearing up your body. <laughs> Literally, is what we say here. That's what's happening here. So, this particular bill, I guess, would extend some sort of penalties to the parents who are complicit. And then House Bill 576 would mandate that a physician's license be revoked if they participate and deliver any sort of gender-affirming surgery or services care. They call it care, which is crazy. I don't see how that's care in my view. if they, if they provide that to a minor. I, I'll go on record again, Rhino. You and I have talked about this extensively. You're an adult. You want to do this crap? Knock yourself out. Children? Nah. That's crossing the line in my view. Especially when it's adults that know that they can influence and they're pushing children because children want to believe adults. And they abuse that. We're coming right back with Bad Finger bumping us out of this segment. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: In the Element Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. So, this issue of health care in the state of Mississippi continues to be one that is gaining much attention in the state. And it ain't just Mississippi. It's a it's a nationwide phenomenon. The Cleveland Clinic. I think most folks know about the Cleveland Clinic, a a giant healthcare care operation, a nonprofit organization. In twenty twenty-two lost two hundred million bucks. And reading through the CEO's keynote, the uh the loss is attributed to workforce shortages, industry headwinds, various industry headwinds, higher labor spending, inflated supply and drug cost, and also some degree of a pause in health care services during the pandemic. We were told, stay away. Don't go. And that is starting to manifest, we've seen it, with lots of folks who did not seek basic wellness care and diagnostic services, just tests for illnesses, and now in many cases, they find out that they have contracted certain illnesses. And it's going to be a, not only a more expensive endeavor to treat, but likely with worse health care outcomes than had they detected whatever the illness is on a more timely basis. You know, I just think about in the case of uh, various cancer screenings so important to detect the um, the presence of cancer, certain cancers early on. Almost all cancers now, honestly, if you detect them early your chances of full recovery are dramatically improved with early detection. And the good news is all sorts of technology, medical technology, diagnostic tools have been introduced as part of various wellness exams that uh, go a long way towards detecting cancer early and getting the treatment you need to address it. In men, prostate cancer is a great example. Simple blood test, PSA test, can detect the possible presence of, of prostate cancer and detected early, the, the cure rate is virtually 100%. And the same can be said now with advances in breast cancer, in mammograms, and other diagnostic tools used to, uh, to find those cancers. And the, and the same, of course, colon cancer. Nobody in this country should ever die of colon cancer because the screening, colonoscopies, done on a timely basis, not only are detecting possible cancerous polyps, but removal of the polyps is preventing cancer, because all colon cancer originates as a non-cancerous polyp. I've been through that. i, I personally had that. I don't mind sharing that. 2006. Simple physical led to a colonoscopy. That colonoscopy found two polyps. One was benign, one was cancerous. That's 2006. Not a polyp, thank God, since then. No further treatment. Surgery, no further treatment. Saved my life. Was told by the doctors, yeah, nine or ten months could have been a different outcome. Nine or ten months. But when you're not When you're not receiving those sorts of tests, then you don't know. And when you find out, you've maybe crossed the line, and now you've got a completely different situation that you're dealing with. So unfortunately, during the pandemic, we told folks, stay away. In fact, you remember most of the hospitals in this country, including in Mississippi for a period of time, weren't performing any elective surgeries and procedures i believe that was the rule right as you recall it and and i remember some of my physician friends who primarily did performed elective surgeries orthopedic surgery would be an example they just didn't do anything well yeah you can wait on that but that that sort of trickled down and folks weren't weren't pursuing just basic wellness care and testing and preventative treatments that prevent bad outcomes down the road and major costs as well to the patient, sometimes to others who have to pick up that tab because of the way our our funding model works for health care services. So in Mississippi it's a huge problem and I guess front and center in in that debate is Medicaid expansion it's been on the table for years it's been available to the states since 2014 is when Medicaid expansion became available and that was a provision a key provision embedded in the Affordable Care Act which passed in 2010 under Barack Obama it was a it was a major major piece of legislation that he campaigned on, health care reform, and bragged about, I got this done and nobody else could. He's right. Many attempts were made prior to that to do something significant with respect to health care policy in this country. Who could forget Hillary Care that Bill Clinton first campaigned on in the 90s? And then backed way off on it because it was so wildly unpopular. And it was called Hillary Care, as I recall, Rhino, because much of that was her brainchild. Much of the reforms proposed. And he backed off on that. So nothing happened. She was the chair of the task force. Okay. That devised it. I got you. And then, of course, George W. Bush... He really didn't do anything except enacted Part D of Medicare. And it is true that that was done without any way to pay for it. That's the prescription drug portion of Medicare. You've got Part A, Part B, Part D, Part C, which is Medicare Advantage. And D is prescription drug benefits. That was passed without any money to pay for it. And so now we've got this health care situation in this country... And Mississippi is clearly no exception to that. We've heard the, we've heard the message loud and clear from those in the health industry in the state of Mississippi that many of our hospitals are in dire financial condition. And I know the focus has been on the rural hospitals, where the problem is arguably larger, but it's not just the rural hospitals. Even those in the urban settings are having difficulty making ends meet. So this is back to the fundamental question we've talked about many times on the program, which is what is the proper role of government? Fact is, in 1965, under President Lyndon B. Johnson, two major programs were enacted: Medicare and Medicaid, and they ain't going away. And now we've got 91 million Americans covered by Medicaid, free government health care, and 72 covered by Medicare. Think about that. It's 165 million people of a population of 330. And we still have some 30 million, 25 to 30 million that don't have any coverage whatsoever. That was the goal of Obamacare, by the way, which is universal coverage. You you remember the term. It was a refrain that was very common during the campaign and has been to some degree since then. But back to Mississippi, what do we do here? It's a serious question. Lots of ideas being floated, including some bills. How should we handle this situation? There are very strong opinions on this from both sides of the political spectrum. There's some congruence. We'll get into that a little bit more when we return on middays in the Element Well Studios.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard. here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: A foreigner bumping us into this segment of Midday's Super Talk Mississippi Live from the Element Wealth Studios. Don't forget to, su- to subscribe to Super Talk Mississippi News this week in Mississippi Newsletter. And you'll get the news stories you need to know from the most powerful name in Mississippi News delivered to your email inbox. To sign up for free, go to supertalk.fm slash newsletter. The head games uh, by Foreigner. So yesterday I was at the house, because it was raining, should be out playing golf. It's too dang wet. From It didn't rain yesterday, but good grief, the rain we got Saturday pretty much turned the course into a swamp. I'm writing a piece about this vehicle restriction legislation, sale of new vehicles have a lot of thoughts on that. Of course, had a bit of a rant on Friday concerning that legislation. So on YouTube, which I happen to have going on at the same time on one of my screens while I'm writing with some music, and I got teased by a documentary that's only on YouTube, one of those sorts of productions, and it's an interview with Lou Graham, a foreigner. And he's talking about what broke the band up. And there was a a bit of a rift between him and Mick Jones, Foreigner's famed guitarist. I think also played keyboards, if I'm not mistaken. And it had to do with who would get credit for the song I Want to Know What Love Is, which he said was their biggest hit, biggest selling hit. And it was fascinating. But, uh, you know, when the egos get in the way, which is what happened here, it's it's a shame when you see that happen. Because together, and it happens frequently in that business, I mean, it isn't anything new. That goes back to the beginning of bands, which consist of multiple members, multiple artists. And it was just a shame to see it get so antagonistic as it did, because together, they make really good music. And they they got uh, into a tizzy, and it was all about who would get credit. Now, I only heard Graham's side, right? I haven't heard Mick's side. And these kinds of conflicts feel like you always need to hear the other side. It certainly sounded believable, though, and, it, and again, it had to do with who would get credit for this particular tune. And he said that that he ended up conceding, okay, it's your song. And he got a Grammy for it. Mick did. That's what he said yesterday. I didn't research it, but that's what um, Lou Graham said about guitarist, far and guitarist Mick Jones. I just thought, I thought it was fascinating, but I, I think it is reflective of lots of these sorts of conflicts that happen. In that big-time world, you're shaking your head. I oh, mean, yeah. It, I mean, it,
1: it doesn't even have to be in the world of rock and roll or even music. Mm-hmm. It, You get into any kind of creative endeavor, and if you have a team, the credit for the creativity is generally where the money lies.
2: Yeah. Hmm. So, one thing that fascinated me, one of their big hits was um, I Don't Want to Live Without You. It's a big Foreigner hit, if you guys pay any attention to that. And this apparently was recorded after this conflict. And Luke Graham said he really didn't put his best effort into it. And said that in some respects, if you listen carefully, this is what the the vocalist said. If you listen to his vocals, he's mimicking Frank Sinatra. That's what he said in the interview. I never noticed that before as many times Is I've enjoyed the tune. Little fodder there for your your Monday. Back to more serious matters. And that is the health care situation in Mississippi. So there's, of the three Senate bills that I've seen thus far, three bills that are coming out of the Senate, haven't seen any out of the House, though we're told they're coming, to address this issue in the state. Haven't seen any that would call for the expansion of Medicaid. And I believe that is simply because the votes aren't there. And the governor's made it very clear he won't sign off on that either. And so I don't, I think the feeling is, why waste your time with that? So, and that's a whole complicated subject that we could certainly get into. And there are some concerns from Medicaid opponents, Medicaid expansion opponents, that is, that once we get the ballot measure situation, if we get one at all, the citizen-initiated ballot measure process squared away and acted into law that we're likely to see, because there was one that was teed up before the Supreme Court said, yeah, your ballot measure situation is not really valid in the state anymore the way it is provisioned in the Constitution, that we'll get a, a measure on the ballot that would likely pass. Polls show, depending on who you talk to, but polls show, Pretty broad support in favor of Medicaid expansion. It's going to be an interesting thing to to track. Mayor Andrew Fofo Gillich of Biloxi coming up after the news break. Stay with us. And now,
0: now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are
2: back in the Element Wealth Studios, kicking off a brand new week here on the middays at Super Talk, Mississippi. Joining us now, Mayor Andrew Fofo Gillich of the great city of Biloxi. Mayor, good to see you, sir.
3: Great to see you, George. Everything's great down here. hope you're doing well.
2: Yes, sir. Sure are. So, always good to visit with you. We uh, wanted to have you on today to talk about uh, the situation with uh, Bonnie Carey Spillway. It looks like maybe we're going to get a little uh, attention to this matter from a federal court uh, on uh, the operation of the spillway as far as its impact on the Gulf Coast.
3: Well, we certainly hope so. You know, I think it's a it's a it's a great step. Uh, I don't know, you know, what it actually totally means impactful wise, but uh, we we passed. You know, I I guess the the the, our housing county Hancock County, two or three counties, as well as most of the cities, came up with some money to put this on the table and and get a, a fair hearing. And I think the result was, was what we wanted. At least it's the first step. There'll be more steps to go and no rest for the weary. but uh, it, uh, it's a good first step because you know uh, perception is what really damages everything as far as uh, you know the uh, algae and, and the opening the body carry without you just sit back there and just hope. But now I think we have a little bit of a, a path, a little bit of a process that we can uh, move forward with. You know.
2: So this relates to, I believe, a few years ago was it 2018, 19, when the the core 19, 19 okay, the core opened the spillway and, and that released water from the river, uh, into the sound.
3: Well, it, it's more than just water. You know, everybody talking about fresh water, but yeah. it's nothing fresh about Mississippi River water. You know, 37 states and two provinces of uh, Canada. You know, push water. You know, with various. Uh, you know, chemicals and, and uh, fertilizers and everything that winds up down here at, at flood stage. And uh, their only alternative is just to pull those uh, boards out of the Bionicari spillway, pushes it into the uh, Ponchatrain, train, Poncha train into, uh, you know, the Mississippi Sound and that devastated everything, and including tourism and including oysters and, and everything that you, you know, really don't want to see and, and don't want to be at the mercy of not so much Mother Nature, but just good science, and, and that's what we're hoping for. Hey, let's do what's reasonable, and uh, look at alternatives, there are other spillways, other metrics that say, okay, open this now to avoid the problems we had in 2019. It was just as bad as, as the BP oil spill in some of the perceptions, you know, uh, uh, things are polluted, don't send me any of your shrimp, don't send me any of your oysters, I don't need yeah. domestic stuff that hurts more than anything, and it takes years to overcome that, as well as just people, you know, uh, Dr. Moby Solange talked about, you know, what happened as a result, more uh, dolphins were uh, uh, washing up, and and, those kinds of turtles, and I mean, it really did some damage with regard to that pollution, that that kind of water getting to our shores.
2: Yeah, and it also, uh, drives the production of algae as well, does it not, Mayor, and that causes problems.
3: That's right. It, it, no, no question. I mean, you can literally see that in you know uh, the the greenness and, and and you know the the deposits that are yeah. as a result of. But uh, we, you know, we just uh, hopefully you know that uh, we, we can avoid that in the future. But we still got to fight. I mean, you got to be vigilant and you know tee it up. It's it's ready to you know to go.
2: Yeah. How's the industry doing now? Is it Has it recovered fully, would you say? Well,
3: you know, the end, two things. Like I said, the uh, the impact for oysters, really, uh, you know, and, and that's not so much, uh, it, it, it's a very delicate situation as far as oysters. You know, used to be millions and millions of, of, of oysters, Saxons, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Saxons, and now we're down to almost zero. And uh, that certainly didn't help it. And it takes years uh to really build your oyster population back up but then also the crabs and some of those other things just coming back but um, so many you got to have a, a certain a mixture of, of salt water and fresh water not too much of either will we'll, uh you know it's, it's perfect the hay saline line tells you where things are viable and it's sort of a dynamic kind of movement of where this where you can grow oysters. Yeah, we're struggling. Department of Green Resources is, you know, put, puts all kinds of energy and effort and money into figuring out how to best get it going again. And but it's it's a, it's a it's a battle.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when uh, what sort of legal proceedings are, are coming up, and when do they get kicked off?
3: Well, you know, we got. I'm sure there there'll be some uh, appeal. And I know uh, our team is looking for another trip to DC to meet with you know the fisheries marine fisheries that's the big big point you still the Corps of engineers were told yeah. you must consider other factors and Gulf fisheries as sort of our salvation mm-hmm. they know they know what, is, what those kinds of chemicals and what kinds of damage uh, an opening a, uh, of a spillway will, will do and just hopefully that they can uh, evaluate uh, more you know, the spillway is up towards Baton Rouge and uh, the Hipton yeah. Shafalaya Basin. Some other things that when the the numbers so many billions of gallons per second queues yeah. up at a certain uh, gate says, okay, now you better, you know, be prepared. So, uh, I don't think at this point in time today, you know, the river's sort of down as far as so we're helpful, at least you know, this year, but you never can tell. You never can tell. You look at the rain and these uh, rivers of, of, uh, of, of uh, precipitation coming in from the west. You, n- you never know.
2: Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. so, Mayor, is the city and the other plaintiffs on the coast, are you seeking some sort of uh, compensation for the damages?
3: Uh, not at this point. You know, I mean, it, that, that's a stretch, but we would. I mean, it, it's hard to dollarize that perception. You know, hey, don't send me into this. I mean, how can you dollarize loss of sales? How can you yeah. predict, predict You know, what you could have sold? because that's what you'd have to do back to two thousand nineteen and my Archer yield was was this now it's that yeah. I lost this and but so so nip, you know a lot of dynamics in, in every calculation as you know and uh then take it to court to, to you know to and who's going to do what is a big question yeah. but we know that uh, what we're doing is righteous as far as uh we've got to have at least somebody to listen to us and and that hasn't happened in the past,
2: sure. So, Mayor, I uh, had the privilege of uh, visiting the Gulf Coast, the Biloxi area, a couple of months ago. It it looks like things are thriving down there. Give us an update.
3: Oh, it is. Uh, You know, it's amazing the visitation, you know, just in, in our little city. We've got forty-nine thousand eight hundred seventy-two, according to the census, but we have four point two million visitors a year, and we have seven thousand wow. hotel rooms that give you a sense of uh, hey, people are here, so it's another population that visit us, That's for sure. And if you try, if you got here on the weekend, you know how hard hotel rooms are. Yep. And, and, uh, and and people are at, you know in this office every day. On well, what can we do as far as you know uh, growing uh, the hotel motel, the visitation business, and, and we're we're all ears and we're, we're there hope to hope, uh, you know, increase that.
2: The city's but in good you're right. shape.
3: We're, we're uh, so far, so
0: yeah. far. Financially, but, uh, you're
3: doing good this year. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some, some good years. Amazingly, you know, since the, the pandemic, 2021, 20, 22, now 23, we're in the middle of it. Seems to be, uh, we were, we were aggressive in, in, in our budgetary and our, our, you know, our, our looking at, looking at revenues and so far on track. And, and uh, we're, we're thankful of that.
2: Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk to us about with respect to economic development projects that you're uh, uh, able to share?
3: Well, you know, uh, just in, as the legislation is going on right now, we're, you know, we're, we need a couple of things that, as far as just give us the infrastructure. Give us a, you know, uh, of course, a bridge is, is, is helpful. We've got two ways, uh, you know, doing storm evacuation, or uh, you know, defense access. Uh, and those bridge projects—the uh, the one uh, that w- used to be 75 million now is 200 million—and yeah. uh, uh, we're all, you know, all ears about what can be done together to give us you know, access and, and make it, uh, you know, more uh, more attractive and, and more convenient for people to visit visit down here on the coast. Got a lot of projects, you know, on the coast. When you go from bloxy Gulfport, Bay, St. Louis, or towards Ocean Springs. You know, there's not a lot of delineation. Oh, I'm going from here to there. We're yeah. all we're all in the same boat, yeah. and we want to be sure that uh, business is here. We got to bring new business in. That's the main attraction.
2: Looks like it's booming, and uh, right around the corner, one of the busiest times of year for you is Mardi Gras.
3: Right, right. It comes February 21st, but uh, there'll be we talked about it in my directors' meeting this morning the different Mardi Gras events, the different crews, the different balls, and. Uh, different happenings, you know, around our around our city and, and our civic centers and yeah, and, uh, uh, some of the, the venues. So, we're, we're that's excited. It's right around the corner.
2: Mayor, always good 21. to visit with you, sir. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, man. Y'all have a great day. You Thank you. Right. Mayor Fofo Gillich Bye-bye. has been our guest, the mayor of Biloxi. We're going to take a break. Coming right back in the Element Wealth Studios.
0: With Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this on Super Talk, Mississippi. Uh-huh. Let's go. <laughs>
2: Monday. <laughs> well, I had it backwards. Blue Monday, blue day, I believe. So, yeah. Very appropriate for this Monday. But we're not blue in here in the Element Well Studios. We're chipper. <laughs> On the ceasefire text line. We were just talking about how many folks just failed to pursue basic preventative care, wellness care, during the pandemic and and now most in the medical community expect an uptick in cases of cancer and heart disease and diabetes and, and other illnesses, ailments that are much easier to control, address, and even cure when they're detected early. And so on the ceasefire text line, that's why I'm always surprised when one of these celebrities die of an easily preventable cancer such as recently Kirstie Alley just shows being a celebrity does not always equal smart. Yeah, and I I could just think right off the top of my head, Rhino, of of a number of other celebrities that also met the same fate. Farrah Fawcett was one, died of anal cancer. Also, preventable, simple screening. But you got to go. I remember someone that I really liked a lot, especially in high school, came onto the scene. Dan Fogelberg died of prostate cancer. Just never got screened. When it was detected, too late. As slow-growing as those cancers are, when you're in stage four, you hear about stage four colon cancer, that means you had not done anything for 20 years, basically. Virtually the same with prostate cancer. Now, I'm not a doctor here. I'm not preaching uh, m- medical principles but I have done enough research on that to know well, it's widely known but you got to go get screened you got to go check it out and so but you're right that it's it doesn't care if you're a celebrity and it doesn't cost any money generally if you have insurance and my and as a matter of fact, that was one of the changes in the Affordable Care Act, is that many of these wellness exams and screenings were totally covered by insurance. Because the first time I had a colonoscopy in 26, I had to pay for it, out of pocket. I want to say it was 1200 bucks, something like that. But now, that's pretty much covered by insurance, even just... Plain old wellness screening. You don't have any symptoms, but let's go get screened just to make sure. And so that has, in fact, increased the number and has reduced the number of bad outcomes. But during the pandemic, I'm not even sure if they let them do it, honestly. I want to say maybe that those sorts of specialty medical practices uh, may have been restricted. And, Especially in hospitals. Yeah, in hospitals. and Because and, that was pretty much limited to necessary surgery, not elective surgery, but re- required surgical procedures as opposed to elective surgical procedures. And, heck, the hospitals during that time period were overrun with COVID patients but didn't have anybody else in the hospitals that were receiving this, these other critical, this other critical care
1: and not to belittle the the critical care required for things like cancer and heart disease and diabetes and stuff but it it impacted a wide swath of medical needs like i know a guy who he gets really bad ingrown toenails and he wasn't able to get it surgically worked on for over 2 years yeah uh, and so, it's you ever a cla- had an ingrown toenail, which I have, you, you can you know what kind of annoyance that can be on a day to day basis. Yeah. So I mean, it's not just the the serious stuff. It's it's a little bit of everything in
2: there. Right, and it's a quality of life thing, more than more than anything. But you, in many cases, you you couldn't seek that care. The care was just not uh, lawful to deliver. It would be against orders from government said no, only non elective type procedures and surgery and services could be performed so as to lessen the uh, the impact in the traffic in the uh healthcare environment hm so Uh, Let's see. On the ceasefire text line, Ben from Madison says, I don't know enough about Medicaid expansion to have a real opinion on the matter, but something with health care needs to get done this session, and I have no clue what that needs to be. Glad I'm not in charge of the state's health care. And again, it just brings up the question of what should be the role of government here. It's just simple as that. And these health care outfits that are struggling financially the the thing that's most worrisome is that it's it's a direct result of the lack of revenue so it's it's easy to say well we just need to cut costs i agree all organizations should be continuously reviewing their cost model and evaluating costs that are frivolous or unnecessary that could be eliminated oh sure in any, any any organization that is responsible for making sure the revenue covers the cost, and that even that either is break-even, a non-profit entity, or it's got to produce some income that drops out of it, a for-profit entity, both, in both situations, they should be reviewing their cost models. But it's a more difficult problem when, when we can't get paid for what the services we provide. So if you think about the, a traditional for-profit business, they're trying to figure out how to sell more. Because the more they sell, the more they make, generally speaking. Well, in the hospital world, it's quite the opposite. They could sell more and perform more services. And this is what opponents of Medicaid expansion talk about. Well, well Medicaid expansion just means you'd have more patients that would seek your services, and you would be reimbursed at economic losing Medicaid reimbursement rates. All that's true. They, on the other hand, the proponents would argue, well, we're we're still getting those patients regardless, and providing those services, but we ain't getting nothing now. Medicaid reimbursement would be better than nothing. That would be what they would argue.
1: Feels like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, though.
2: Yeah, it doesn't solve the fundamental problem of you're providing a service that costs X, and you're getting reimbursed by .6X. That just doesn't work. So then you look at, well, how can we bring the cost down? And you're somewhat limited in what you can do, and that costs... And cost increases, as we just reported with respect to Cleveland Clinic, there's no secret that there is a shortage of labor. And when there's a shortage of something, the cost of it tends to rise when demand exceeds the supply. So you've got labor shortages. I've also shared this notion that we keep inventing more care, more drugs, more therapies, more treatments, more options. And that costs money. People want it. And, and so the, uh, the matrix of the care that a person has available to them, as that increases, so, so do the costs associated with those services. How do we get paid for them? So if you're not getting paid for, for X complement of services, and now the complement of the portfolio is 2X, that just makes that worse because you're still likely to provide those services. And in some cases, they can be life-saving. So much has been, which is a good thing. question is, how do we pay for it? So back to your question, Ben, I'm not sure what the legislature can do. What we've seen are three bills out of the Senate. One is just, here's 80 million bucks. Well, that's clearly a Band-Aid. That's a one-time, that's a one-time pot of money that is not going to address recurring needs. That's not going to solve the problem of we're not getting paid for these services that we're providing. How do we get that money? I mean, it may help them stabilize their situation economically short-term, but that doesn't solve the fundamental long-term problem. And this is where I think we got to get a bunch of smart people around the table to talk about how do we address this issue. I've got some further thoughts on... Medicaid expansion and even base Medicaid and what the impact might be in the state of Mississippi if we expanded. We'll talk about that when we return in the Element Well Studios on Middays. back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Chris from Oxford said his friends just got back from playing there last weekend, talking about the TPC in Scottsdale, where the Waste Management Phoenix Open will be held during a Super Bowl week. Said that stadium seating takes them three months to put up every year. I have no idea why they don't just leave it up paying all that labor each year. Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, it's because it's actually cheaper for them to take it down and relocate it somewhere than it is to leave it there. And honestly, as a a person who's played that course many times, I think that would detract from the view of the course. I mean, if, if pro tournament you're there... To, to be a, a fan and a member of the gallery, but you don't want to see that crap up there. And then somebody's got to maintain it, and problems crop up inevitably, because it's temporary bleachers, essentially, these temporary suites. It's over three holes worth of stadium seating, says Chris from Oxford. I certainly don't think there's another hole on the tour that can accommodate that large a crowd on one hole. And it's a par 3, by the way, like a 170-yard, 180-yard par 3. So we're not talking about a 500-yard, 450-yard par 4. No, it's like watching NASCAR do circles inside the <laughs> L.A. Coliseum. It's like, this This
1: doesn't seem like it should be taking place in a stadium, but it is.
2: That's, uh, that's a very good way to put it. Uh, and it's a kind of an elevated green. It's not... It's not an easy shot, honestly. So it's interesting that, I kid you not, while we're here talking about various preventative medical treatments and so forth, and and how that folks just failed to seek such preventative medicine and wellness treatment during the uh, pandemic, that I, I get uh, one of the Services that I've subscribed to, I get an email from the Washington Post. This is a, a reference to an article in the Washington Post in this email. Record number of Americans delay medical care due to cost. Roughly 38% of Americans surveyed said they or a family member postponed medical treatment last year due to cost. That's the highest rate. Since Gallup began tracking self-reported delays in medical care in 2001, yeah, so that's not good because not only does that lead to negative health outcomes, it also costs money. It's generally much less expensive to address these these medical issues when they're just getting started. When the, with early detection than it is down the road after they've been festering in your body for a while. So that, that's not good news there. i not like to see that. So Ben from Madison says, uh, well, we are talking about what to do about health care, also says, last thing on the initiative process, I certainly hope the legislature isn't holding that back because they fear one issue Mississippians would want changed. I actually don't believe they will get it done this session. Hope I'm wrong. I'm hanging out for hope there, Ben, that we will get something this session. I I really do hope so. I just think that that is something that we need, and obviously, it's very popular within the state with respect to voters and citizens. They want a way to redress their government through a simple ballot measure process. That so, the
1: question then becomes in an election year, will leadership in the legislature be able to push responsibility for its failure, if it does fail, away
2: from themselves? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's totally on them. Nobody else has the power to fix this but the folks down there at the legislature. So, hopefully, they'll get something done. And. I would say the indications we've received from those who have uh, been on the program when we've asked them about this and have tried to make it a standard to ask everybody from the legislature that we've had on the program, because I I still see it as sort of unfinished business from the last session. And there seems to be an appetite to find a, a compromise in the number of signatures required at least
1: from the voting body of the legislature.
2: Right. Now, we don't know about the lieutenant governor, who, when we interviewed him uh, a couple of weeks ago, seemed to be pretty set on the higher threshold. Didn't really want to come off of that. Now, hopefully, the members of his chamber will will push to for a compromised figure, and we'll get something done. And I do believe that Medicaid expansion is something that will we would likely see initiated through the uh, the ballot measure, the citizen measure process, and we'd see something on the ballot, has to be a statewide ballot, regarding Medicaid expansion. Mississippi is one of 11 states. South Dakota just voted to expand, so Mississippi is among the 11th, which has it not yet expanded. And what does that really mean? It, it means that coverage would be available to able-bodied adults whose income is below 138 percent of the federal poverty level. Most folks are surprised to learn that base Medicaid, which has been around since 1965, does not cover able-bodied adults. It covers the disabled, the blind, the th- those who are elderly with low incomes, they have to meet a certain uh, income threshold, pregnant women, and then children, who, by the way, comprise the, the majority of those on the Medicaid rolls, not only in Mississippi, but nationwide. But the coverage group that consumes most of the expenses, no surprise, is the indigent elderly. So expansion just means that able-bodied adults would have access, would qualify for Medicaid. Depending on whose report you look at, how many people would that cover? Anywhere from, in in various estimates, anywhere from I've seen 175,000 up to 235,000 which means we really don't know. And I think a lot of the reason we don't know is because the number of people we have in the state that don't file a tax return, the number of people we have in the state that don't have bank accounts, we're the least banked state in the country, we just don't know if they qualify. Now, here's my advice to both proponents and opponents of Medicaid expansion. First, for the proponents. Rather than talking at the abstract, and what I mean by that is, you'll see proponents say, "We get money from the federal government; it would create jobs, people wouldn't die." I mean, you've seen a, a, a long laundry list of, um, and, and it would save the hospitals, right, that are that are suffering economically speaking. Which it feels like
1: that's the most dubious. But, yeah.
2: agree, because it, it requires a whole lot more than just Medicaid expansion to solve the hospital economic problem. No doubt about that. But, the, but those generally, I would say, are the talking points that you see. Uh, Rhino, you may be able to think of a couple of more, but those are the ones that come to mind more than anything, is um, uh, just how it would save the hospital, and the hospitals and the health care situation in the state in general, that people wouldn't, wouldn't die or they would receive the necessary care. And I'm not laughing at that. I, I, I think that's a bit of hyperbole, honestly, yeah. is what I'm saying there. And, uh, and oh, job creation, we would get all this federal money, and, and therefore the combination of the state's match with the federal match would mean we could hire more people create more jobs, to provide the services. Uh, I mean, all of those are kind of the high-level, abstract talking points. What I would say more than anything to proponents is get your Excel spreadsheets out and produce some pro forma financial statements. And those are just projected financial statements. And and so, an example of that, I'll, I'll share it when we come back on the other side of the break. The, the hospital that's probably probably gotten more attention than any throughout this debate is Greenwood LaFleur. I think, would you agree with that? You've heard more about Because they oh, seem yeah. to be the closest to to to, to total just uh, catastrophe, right? Just total collapse economically. Here's what I would suggest when we come back on the other side of the break. Stay with us.
0: Days with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Tears for Fears, bumping us into this segment. No so again, the, generally speaking, the talking points in favor of Medicaid expansion are, of course, providing co- first of all, providing coverage to a population that, that presently is, is not covered. And we have a, a large population of Mississippians that have no insurance. I think the last count I saw there, according to the recent census, because you know as part of the census you have to you have to indicate whether or not you have health insurance. In fact, you do, I believe, in um, employers have to provide that information on W-2s when they provide employer-based coverage. But it's estimated there there are about four hundred and fifty thousand in the State of Mississippi. I think we are once again top that list of the highest number of our population is a percentage without health insurance. Here's what I would suggest to the proponents. If you look at your financial statements today, your actual financial statements, let's say of a hospital, and those who say, gosh, Medicaid expansion would really help us a lot, some would say, completely solve the problem. I don't buy that. Never have. And take those financial statements as a baseline, and then create a pro forma, a projection showing, okay, this is what our financial statements would have looked like, our income statement, our statement of cash flows, if Medicaid expansion had been in place. Meaning, you would have to do an examination of all the patients that you serviced that were uninsured, and would have to figure out whether or not those patients, assuming you could get this information, would qualify for Medicaid with expansion, and the pro forma would reflect the revenues the institution would receive, the reimbursement it would receive from Medicaid for those that they serviced, who would now be covered by Medicaid. So it's a before and after. Without Medicaid expansion, we made or lost X with Medicaid expansion, assuming everything's even. Just start with that. Just start with that. Because right now, it's at the high-level abstract. Yeah, we need it because we just need it, and we would have more people with coverage. We're covering too many people, servicing too many people that aren't paying. Okay, I believe that. I do know that is the fact. But you could really make a compelling case for it, I believe, with some financial information, that clearly shows the before and after effect. Now, understand, it's a projection. Projections are as valuable as you want to believe them to be. That's what we do in business. This is a business matter. Think about it specifically and strictly from an economic perspective. That's what I'm suggesting. To opponents, I would submit that they should tell us more from a financial perspective, other than the state picking up its share, which clearly is a cost burden to the state. But there have been other proposals from the hospital association, for example, which have said, hey, we'll cover the state's portion. We just want that roughly billion dollars we would get distributed across the providers and the institutions from the federal government, which covers 90 percent of expansion. I still maintain the missing component, the missing element of this discussion is what just happened in the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. I just don't understand why that doesn't get more attention. We did receive a text, you recall, Rhino, a couple of weeks ago when we discussed this from Dr. Edney from the Department of Health, who said, yeah, we do understand these changes, recent changes to marketplace coverage, private coverage available in the ACA exchanges, And we are educating our teams to understand those provisions so that they can then educate folks out in the state without coverage, to know that that's an option. That doesn't seem to get any attention. And best I can tell, Rhino, everybody that we've just mentioned that to from the legislature seems also to be unaware of this recently enacted provision. Which was not actually recent, it was made permanent recently. It was enacted in the American Rescue Plan. And so I asked the question again, how many people took advantage in the state of Mississippi that would have otherwise been eligible for Medicaid expansion? How many of them flocked to the exchanges to purchase private coverage for zero premium cost? That's equivalent to Medicaid from a premiums perspective, except it's actually more generous in that it covers Folks with, a, with an income of 150% of the federal poverty level as opposed to Medicaid expansion's threshold of 138%. So there's way more to talk about this, but this ain't going away. This is a big, huge matter in the state of Mississippi that I think needs lots of attention from a whole bunch of smart people to try to figure out and devise some solutions. I'm not convinced they come from the legislature necessarily. Just writing checks to hospitals to make ends meet ain't a solution. We're out of time here today. Coming up next, Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews back in the studios tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super
0: Talk Mississippi Media Production.